Galatians chapter 6, and that is on page 975. We will read together from verse 1 to 10 of Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Well, let me add my welcome to you. My name's Rob. Um, I'm the leader of the church. Uh, It's great to have you if you're here for the first time or if you're here uh, returning. Um, And we are in chapter 6 of Galatians, so you probably guessed that we've been in Galatians for a few weeks um, now. Um, I would encourage you to, uh, to, if you haven't um, heard those sermons, to go back over some of Galatians because um, it really is Paul's... uh, safeguarding the, the new Christians um, he's writing to and he goes from speak, saying that this is my gospel, the gospel that I received in chapter 1 and he wants to show them that that is the only gospel that saves and it's the gospel that they received too um, so it is, it's great to sort of look at those first few chapters um, so if, you, if you'd like to go back and have a look over the, them um, you can find that on our website um, let me pray and then we'll get going let's pray Father God, thank you so much um, that you know us best, you know what's best for us. Pray that you'd humble us to know that and to live in the way that you have called us to live, uh, with the means that you have called us to live by. Uh, We pray that by your spirit we may be those who would love one another. And by your spirit, we may be those who carry each other's burdens. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open in chapter 6. We are going to be referring to that. You can see by the very first word in chapter 6 that this is a message for Christians. Brothers, could be brothers and sisters. This is a message for Christians. And actually, we'd know that from chapter 5 anyway, because the whole of chapter 5 is saying, you have received the Spirit, and the Spirit is at work in you. That can only be true of Christians. Uh, But if you're not a Christian here today, and you're wondering what 
being a Christian is all about, then there will be something for you to listen, to, to get an answer to that question. But we've seen that Christians are brand new people. It's not that they look different on the outside or that they start dressing a bit different or they have a bit of a different, you know, hobbies. They just like to do something on a Sunday morning because what else is there to do on a Sunday morning? Or even a Sunday at four, actually. Although there's a lot of sporting activities at four o'clock on a Sunday. But it's not that. It's that they're brand new people from the inside out. We looked at last week the fact that their nature has changed. Their nature was of the flesh, of the sinful flesh, and now they've been given the spirit. Because their nature has changed, it starts to work its way out. The nature's changed, the desires are changing, and the behaviour, which is only a product of our desires and our nature, that is all changing as Christians. And we saw, uh, if you want to just look down with me at um, verse 13 of chapter 5, it's quite a good summary verse. For you were called to freedom, brothers, not to go back to the law. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. When we look to those gifts of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit, they're all outward other people gifts. How can you be kind? How can you be gentle? Well, you, you do that with other people, <laughs> don't you? It's all other people stuff um, that the Spirit produces. And so here we have that verse, in love, serve one another, only because you've received the Spirit. Because your nature has changed, you're a new person. Um, just turn to the person next to you and say, um, just give a couple of answers to the question, what does the spiritual life look like? And, and try, if it's not your opinion, give, give a few sort of general opinions of what people ge- generally think a spiritual life would look like. As the chat's the person next to you, I'll give you a minute to do that. Okay, um, let's, let's go with the caricature first. Okay, that person's really spiritual. You know, what, what kind of things are we expecting that person to be doing when they're doing spiritual things? Come on. Praying, 
what, like for a long time or a short time? A long time, long prayers, okay. Anything else? Showing love to one another, okay. Ooh, yeah. Well, that's a bit closer to the mark, actually. But um, would you normally, would people usually say that's a spiritual person? Okay, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, yeah, being on their own. Oh, those people who are on their own a lot. They're spiritual. What about um, knowing a lot of stuff? That person's spiritual because they, they have all the answers. They know a lot of stuff. They know a lot of the Bible, maybe, yeah, yeah. What about being able to see what's wrong in other people? Yes. Yeah, the spiritual person. You know, they, but have a look at verse 1, right? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's really different, isn't it? What the Bible says and what the Spirit, actually, his work, produces in people's lives. And we're going to see that as we go through this. It's it's actually surprising to see that um, the spiritual life looks like humbly and sacrificially serving other Christians. It's not necessarily being in loads of church services, because you can do a lot of church services and not humbly and sacrificially serve other, other Christians. But that's where Paul is going with this. If you look down with me at verse 10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So Paul does have, the whole way through the section, other Christians in mind. The humble serving of other Christians. And um, it's quite broad at the end there, isn't it? Do good. Okay, that could be anything. Um, But in verse 1, it's very specific, isn't it? The doing good that he's talking about in verse 1 is restoring the Christian who is caught in sin. That is the good that Paul is saying the spiritual life produces. Concern for other brothers and sisters and their walk with the Lord. And when they're going to struggle with that, which they will, we're there. We're there for them. We're there speaking the truth in love. So that is a different, altogether different picture of the spiritual life, isn't it? And actually, we should expect that because the Spirit is uh, pointing us outward. <laughs> Not saying, look at me, hey, look how good I am. But pointing us outwards in humble service. And it's the Spirit of Jesus as well. And Jesus is the one who humbly served others. And we'll see that a bit later. But the blocker, the thing that's going to stop us humbly helping, um, doing what it says, helping the brother call in sin or helping the other Christian call in sin, is pride, isn't it? And and it's, it's always going to be pride that stops us helping others. We tend to think about the pride stopping the person who wants to receive help, but it also stops us offering help when people mess up. We don't even think to offer help because actually we're just thinking of ourselves. Or when we do offer help um, and we do it proudly, then we actually hurt or make things worse. And that's why Paul says in verse um, verse 1, those who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
And in the previous um, chapter at the end, it says, um, let us not become proud, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we've clearly got that that is the work of the flesh. It's the pride in me that wants to actually gloat a little bit over your struggling or your sin or doesn't want to help you out or doesn't even think to. And he says, that's not the way of the spirit. That's the way of the flesh. In this section, we see that Paul is still talking about pride uh, because he says in verse uh, 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So pride is very deceiving. It helps, it deceives ourselves, doesn't it? Um, About how we are really doing It will stop any inclination to help others in their struggles with sin. So what will keep the Christian humble then? Humbly helping other believers. We're going to look at a few things that Paul mentions in this passage. The first one is there at the end of verse 1, straight after he says, with a spirit of gentleness. And it's this, he says, remember you are just as weak as they are. That's an important thing to remember as Christians, isn't it? When trying to, when thinking about the sin that others might be struggling with, we are just as weak as they are. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You're just as vulnerable and weak as they are. And that will keep you humble and, 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 and wanting to help someone who's struggling with sin. Because it, it might as well be you struggling with the same, not in exactly the same way, but struggling with sin. And it might as well be me. Um, And then, uh, just in the next bit, Paul says, remember that the benchmark is, or the standard is not each other. (laughs) It's Jesus. Um, So have a look down with me um, at the next bit. It says, bear one another's burdens, in verse 2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the way of Jesus. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, one of the things that makes us proud is that we compare ourselves to other people, don't we? We do that all the time. I I do all the time. Am I doing that? That person's doing that. Maybe I should be doing that. We're comparing ourselves to each other. And um, I think in this verse, um, when he gets to... um, Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to be to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. Paul is saying, don't play the comparison game. How do we do that? Well, we first, the first instruction is test ourselves and test our own work. And one of the ways we can do that is, um, actually, what is the fruit of, what, what is the fruit of our lives? <laughs> What's the thing we're producing? Are we... And, and that's a way we can look at uh, what our lives say about who we are. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbour. It sounds a bit contradictory, doesn't it, at the end of that verse, verse 5, for each one will have to carry his own load. Why does that sound like a contradiction? <laughs> It's just, he's just said, bear one another's burdens. And now in verse 5 he's saying each one will have to bear his own load. Which one is it? Or both? 
And the reason is because verse 5 is future tense. Each one will have to carry his own load. So Paul is still saying, bear one another's burdens. But in the future, on the day when we stand before God, we won't have to give an account for anyone else. We'll have to give an account for ourselves. On that day, the pride of doing this comparison game of saying, how am I doing compared to others? That, that just seems to be a fool's game, won't it? Because the comparison was never against each other. It was always God's standard and God himself. And it was always about Jesus, about what his standard of service is. Because of this sin that we're going to all struggle with as we serve one another, as we look to restore one another caught in sin, and because of this pride that deceives ourselves, we need God's word. And I think that's why Paul says in verse 6, it sort of seems like a bit of a tangent or a change of subject, doesn't it? The one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now the one who is taught the word could be the one who is helped in verse 1. So it should be, it could be saying, after being restored and helped by someone, they can then help the person who has taught them or helped them. But it also shows that we need God's word, doesn't it? We need God's word to, so that we wouldn't be deceived about ourselves. So that we see what God's standard is. And that we see Jesus, who is the one who lived the life we couldn't live. And it's his standard um, that he gives to us. It's his righteous works that he gives to us. So for the Christian, we're called to restore each other in sin. To live a life that is about others and their walk with Christ. And helping them. Because we all are going to face the struggle of falling into temptation and sin. And that is the spiritual life. Very different to what we would think it would be. That's what the Spirit will produce in all those who belong to him. A concern for others. A, a, a desire to serve them. And to minister to them. And to help them in their struggles with sin. Um, so, uh, it says in verse 7, there's one other thing we're going to look at, um, which is, sorry, that is, um, we'll just read verse 7, do not be deceived. We may be deceived, but God won't be. Um, it says, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul can't be suddenly saying that anyone has to sow or do good in order to receive eternal life. He can't be saying that. Because that's just what they spent the whole letter saying, you can't earn your salvation. Jesus is enough. Jesus is the one you need. By works of the law, no one will be declared righteous. So Paul can't be saying, hey, here's the way to get eternal life. Um, but Paul is saying that people who sow to the Spirit are those who have received the Spirit. And it will be seen on the day when Jesus returns, their lives will show that they are those who have received the Spirit. It's a bit like what Martin Luther said. Uh, he famously said this, it is faith alone that saves, 
But the faith that saves is never alone. It always comes with works. It always produces works in the life of the Christian. And so this is, a, this is saying that the one who has all their lives sown to his own flesh for himself and lived for himself and for this life, well, they're, they're going to reap corruption. And the Christian, the ones who Paul is writing to, who sows to the Spirit, will from the Spirit receive eternal life. For the Christian, this day points them to serve, not the, for the approval of others, or comparing themselves to each, others, uh, each other, but for Jesus. They fulfil his way, his law. Because burden-bearing is actually the way of Jesus. Um, Jesus didn't hold sinners at arm's length, did he? He didn't sort of at arm's length say, I know what you're doing wrong over there. What did he do? He went to them. He ate with them. And he carried the shame and the scorn of being associated with sinners. And he carried our sin all the way to the cross. Jesus didn't say, ha, 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 I knew you'd fail. He said, here, help, let me help you with that. So if you're a Christian here today, those who have received the Spirit, his Spirit in you, we're called to do the same. To humbly help each other with our sin. Help each other to be restored back from sin. There's some pretty strong verses in the Bible about restoring people back from sin. You know, there's, there's Matthew, I think it's 18, verse 15. As your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuse to listen to them, turn it to the church. If he refuse to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile. Thank you. The purpose of this approach to each other's sin is not the first approach, notice, but it is the purpose of it is to restore them so that they don't walk away. So that they don't stay in the guilt of their sin, but that they repent and they feel the joy of their salvation again. They know that they're saved. Um, what have we seen? Well, we've just seen, haven't we, that the truly spiritual life, the life that is filled with the Spirit, looks like humbly and in a costly way serving other Christians. The spiritual person isn't the one who can correctly diagnose the sin of others. Not even the one who um, knows what it is that they are to do or they should be doing. The spiritual person gets their hands dirty and their reputation messy in the lives of other Christians. A spiritual person is willing to bear with them even the shame and sorrow of their sin. A spiritual man or woman is most likely to be found involved with the Christian whose struggles with sin are most unsightly or most in view of other people. Not, not sort of like, oh, I'm never going to get involved with that person. Let's leave someone else to deal with that person. 
As we set out serving one another, we will encounter sin and we are called to humbly restore one another. So we're going to need to keep in mind that we are just as weak and that the standard is never each other. It's Jesus' standard of carrying the burden of sin. If you're looking in um, to the Christian life, it is him that you need. It is Jesus that you need. He's the only one who can carry the burden of sin. Well, he can carry it for you, or you will carry it yourself. And you'll pay the punishment for your sin. But Jesus is willing to lay down his life for sinners. Um, what if you're a Christian? Um, I thought of this, and I thought that there are two types of uh, kind of lone ranger in the Christian life. Well, there's one who is a Christian, and there's one who's not a Christian. The lone ranger. Um, the person who thinks, I don't need anyone else to live the Christian life. Well, they might not say that, but they basically do live the Christian life as if they don't need anyone else. You might be listening in, and rather than being here in person in church today, you thought, oh, just listen in, it's just a sermon. Isn't it? Church is a sermon. I'll listen into the sermon. That's what it's all about. You can have that without being here, but as we've seen in this passage, God's desire, God's plan for his people, those in whom his spirit dwells, is for them to be serving one another and to be carrying the burden of sin together and to be restoring one another. So it's way more than you thought it was. And um, as you've heard this passage, I wonder how you're going to respond to that, whether you're going to be someone who doesn't respond and says, I'll just carry on, or whether you'll repent. Repent of your pride as a Christian. Looking back, I've made some pretty proud decisions as a Christian. Um, I've moved myself halfway across the UK on my own, away from everyone I ever knew, to pursue a job. I've made another uh, proud decision, moving halfway across London, away from a church that loved and served me, and who knew me as a Christian, who knew the things that I would be struggling with, and who could help me to live the Christian life and would notice when I'm wobbling. And the thing is, when you move six or eight months and people don't really know you until you're six, and six or eight months in. So I tell you what, if you keep moving, you can keep anyone from being all that close to you and knowing you, knowing the real you, knowing the real struggles that you face. And looking back, I might have said to myself, I might have told myself that was, the, uh, that was a bold thing to do, Rob. I did it for the gospel. I did it for, for mission or for God or something. But actually looking back, I think it was pretty proud to think that I could live the Christian life on my own. To try to do the Christian life on my own. And I was more vulnerable for those six to eight months. Vulnerable to temptation and to sin. And it's just the frightening thing is not many people knew that I was struggling because I made it so. God was gracious. I did over time get to know the new church family in that place. 
Um, in the case of rural Wales, which I moved to, it was one other Christian friend. Um, he was the pastor. And he was married with a young child and he just kept inviting me to his house at every opportunity for friendship and for encouragement. But the story could have been a lot different, couldn't it? What a wonderful God and gospel we have. He changes us. He turns us from being proud and thinking we can do things on our own. He, and that's an inward-facing thing, isn't it? He turns us outward to loving and humbly serving one another. And we feel the benefit of that. We feel the benefit of that. So are you proud? Have you made some proud decisions that have taken you away from God's people? Will you repent? Will you recommit yourself to God's way of doing things, which is each other, one anothering? It's not about one person in the church, it's about all of us serving one another, looking out for one another. I hope you find that about us as a church, that it isn't a Sunday thing. It's partly why the women met up for breakfast yesterday, um, you know, down at Natalie's house. and you know, We do life together, because we know we're not strong, we're weak. We will struggle with sin, and we need each other. And what about if you're weary? Um, it is quite easy to get weary, isn't it, of doing that serving, that looking out for other Christians, helping them, and, you know, teaching them, and... Sometimes needing to say some hard things, that can be wearying, can't it? Um, let's go back to Galatians uh, for an encouragement here. It says in verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Perhaps you've been involved in the Christian life for a while, and you've, you've done this burden-bearing for a little while, and uh, there will be times when you feel weary, because it's exhausting, and it is meant to be exhausting. You're not doing the wrong thing if you're exhausted. It means you've given your time, your energy, your efforts to other Christians. And then maybe that Christian has moved off and you've had to make new friends. And you can go weary, can't you? You can want to stop. What will keep you going? When you think, oh, I've got another Sunday school to prepare. Oh yeah, I've got to go to Fridays again and help there. What will keep you going in doing this good, um, especially to those who are of the household of faith? Will it be the results, seeing, you know, instant results and thinking that's the thing that's going to keep me going in serving other Christians? Will that keep you going? Well, sometimes we see God's work, and he is always at work through us, but we, we don't always see how. Now, the one thing that will keep you going in this life of serving other Christians is eternal life. The prospect of eternal life that is yours and that is surely coming. If you look down with me at um, verse 9, actually let's read the second half of verse 8. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. So so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who have the household of faith.
the day when we will stand before our burden-bearer, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. And do you know what his words for his people will be? Well done, good and faithful servant. In effect, he's going to say, it was all worth it. I told you it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And in all eternity, God's people will perfectly reflect Jesus and adore him. That's what heaven's going to be like. So none of the time, the energy, the paper cuts, the cost that we have now in pouring into that project of each other, God's people reflecting Jesus and adoring him, none of it will be wasted. Not one bit. So if you're weary, look again to Jesus. Look to the eternal life we've got waiting for us. Let me pray. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for sending him so that we would be unburdened of our sin. We would be given a new life in him, a new life to live. Thank you for the new love that you've given us uh, for you and your people. Please help us uh, to keep watch on ourselves to test our own work and please help us to humbly help our brothers and sisters with the struggle with sin with the struggle of pride and temptation pray that you do this great work in us and through us we pray in Jesus name Amen